Happy Easter. Easter. It's so good to see every one of you today. Thank you for coming to Southwinds Church this Easter Sunday. We are so glad that you're here. And we are celebrating that Christ is risen. In fact, we like to say Christ is risen. Indeed, indeed. You know, Easter is the most important day in all of history. And uh, we should be reminded today that we are joining with two billion people all around the world who are today celebrating the resurrection of God's Son, our Lord and our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm reminded of a story uh, about this guy who took a trip to the Holy Land with his wife and his mother-in-law. And while they were touring Jerusalem, uh, this uh, guy's mother-in-law had a heart attack and suddenly died. And they went to the U.S. consulate trying to figure out what they were going to do. And they were told that, you know, you have two options. Uh, for $10,000, you can have her body shipped back to the U.S. Or for $200, you could have her buried right here in Jerusalem. And the guy thought about it for a moment and said, you know what, I think I'll have her body shipped back to America. The person at the consulate said, wow, um, that's a lot of money, $10,000. You must have really loved your mother-in-law. And the guy said, well, actually, no, that's not it. I heard about this guy who was in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, and he died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And I cannot take that chance. So. For all you moms and mother-in-laws out there, just kidding. We love you. We love you. You know, I started off our Easter message uh, this year with a joke because Easter this year, as you know, happens to fall on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And it's kind of interesting to think about. A lot of people think that the Easter story is a joke or it's a story for fools. This idea that Jesus was God's son and he died on the cross for the sins of the world on Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday, he rose again from the dead. He came back to life. That has to be a joke, right? Well, if it is a joke, it's the worst joke anyone ever told. But if it's true, it's the best story ever. And we gather here today as God's people because we know it is true. Jesus is alive and he has been changing lives for 2,000 years. He has changed our lives forever. Amen? Amen. Easter is not a joke. We are in a brief two-week series, uh, and this is the second week. Our series is called Hope Starts Here, and we're asking the question last Sunday and this Sunday, where do we find hope? And we saw last week that hope begins with Jesus' death on the cross, and I want you to see today that Jesus' resurrection from the grave confirms that hope. Uh, My question for us all today is, do you know hope today? Easter gives us hope in so many ways. Because of Easter, we know our sins can be forgiven. And this means we can have hope in spite of all of our past failures. I don't need to be crushed by guilt and by shame. I I can move on from my past. Because of Easter, I can have hope today, right now, even in life's present pain and suffering. Easter tells me that evil does not need to win in my life. It tells me that sin has no power over my life, not right now, not today, not ever. And because of Easter, I can also have hope for the future because Easter tells us God has conquered death. Death, our greatest enemy. Easter says our eternity is secure 
And we do not need to fear death anymore. In other words, Jesus lives to give me hope. You see, Easter changes everything. Easter gives me hope for my past and my present and my future. And all of these things and even more are rooted in this fundamental promise of Easter. And that is that Easter can take us from death to life. See, because of what happened on a cross and in a cemetery 2,000 years ago, we know that God has the power to take people who are dead and make us alive in Christ, alive spiritually, alive physically, even after we die. Paul says in the first chapter of Ephesians that the power that, that God exerted to raise Jesus, his son, on Easter is the same power God uses to make our dead hearts alive spiritually and eternally. And that is incredibly hopeful news. It's incredibly hopeful if, like many of you, you have lost someone you loved in this past year. It's incredibly hopeful if maybe you're here today and maybe for one reason or another you are confronting your own mortality. Today I want to show you what the Bible says about Jesus' resurrection and then what his resurrection means to every person who believes in him. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 today. It's a, it's a really long chapter. We're, we're going to be looking at a few selected verses from it, trying to show you some connections in the different ideas Paul is expressing here. And I want to begin by reading the opening eight verses of this chapter. Paul writes this way, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, Paul is establishing the very foundation of our faith in these verses, and he, he tells us uh, we are saved by the gospel as we receive the gospel, and as we take our stand in our lives on the gospel. And then he says what the gospel is. He says that gospel is that Christ died for our sins, just as the Old Testament prophesied. Christ was buried, and then on the third day, God the Father raised his son from the dead, and, and then Jesus gave historical, verifiable proof of his life by appearing over 40 days to more than 500 people. You see, friends, this is Easter faith. Our sins are forgiven. We are God's children, and therefore we have hope today, and we have hope tomorrow, and we have hope for eternity because Jesus is alive. But people still have questions. People still wonder about some things. Paul was writing to these Greek believers in the city of Corinth, and they had all sorts of questions, and their questions are probably some of the same questions you may have. So we're going to talk about some of these questions, these Easter questions that 1 Corinthians 15 gives us an answer for. And here's the first question that the Corinthians were asking, and maybe you've asked it too. What happens after you die? What happens after you die? And there are, there are a lot of ideas out there in our culture kind of floating around about what happens after you die. Some people would say that, you know, there's this thing called annihilation. We just 
We just go away. When you're dead, it's over. That's it. You're done. Your body goes in the ground. You just cease to exist. Other people believe that there's something called reincarnation. You come back as another person or maybe as an animal. I've kind of noticed that very few people ever think that they come back as an insect. And I've never heard anyone say, I came back as a cockroach one time. It's kind of interesting. No one wants to believe that. And I think sometimes even well-meaning believers in Christ can get confused. I've heard people in church say things like, you know, I think our body goes in the ground and then our soul sort of like sprouts wings and flies to heaven and we fly around heaven sort of like ghosts. Well, you just need to know that according to the Bible, none of those ideas are true because the Bible says this, if we know Jesus, we will experience resurrection. Our bodies will be made alive. We will be resurrected. And the Apostle Paul writes this chapter to, to clear up confusion about what it is that happens when we go from death to life, when we trust in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to what he writes in verses 51 and 52. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And by the way, some of you don't know this, but I want to share with you, this is actually the slogan of our nursery ministry. It's right here. Uh, we will not all sleep, uh, but we will all be changed. We, we try to stay biblical in every aspect of our church's life. Now, what is Paul saying here? What happens after you die? Well, notice he says it's a mystery. It's like this wonderful secret. He says, we will be changed. And this word means transformed. And he says, this is going to happen in the blink of an eye. And you know, when your eye blinks, it takes between 100 and 400 milliseconds. It's around a third of a second, just that fast. And he says, we will be raised imperishable on the other side, never to die again, alive forever. And then Paul says it again, we will be changed. See, when we die, an amazing change takes place. And what is that change? Well, second question, how does God change his children? In other words, what kind of transformation is Paul talking about? Is it a physical? Is it a spiritual transformation? The, the Greek word translated change speaks of total transformation. We have kind of a, a slang word we use today that describes it. It's the, it's the word morph, to morph. How many of you just kind of check in? You know, you grew up watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You or your kids did. Anybody remember that show? My kids watched it all the time. And there was this, this saying that this, they used in this show all the time when they were ready to charge out into battle. They would say, it's morphin time, right? It's morphin time. And the idea here that Paul's talking about is like a, of a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and comes out as a butterfly, complete makeover total transformation. Paul illustrates this idea in verses 35 and 36. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It's kind of interesting. Paul is saying here, hey, we're, we're all really excited about this idea of being alive, but there's only one condition for this to be made alive in Christ. Here's the bad news, Paul says, you have to die first. Death comes before life. And I was thinking this past week about people who've died during the last few years, fam in the last year, 
famous people. You know, in the last couple of months, two very different, very famous people died. Billy Graham and Stephen Hawking. Billy Graham, of course, 99 years old, lived almost a century. He believed that death leads to life for all who trust in Jesus. But Stephen Hawking, one of the greatest minds in the world in recent decades, a theoretical physicist who suffered from ALS tragically for over 50 years, he stated that his belief was when he died, that was the end. It was just nothingness. And you see this contrast, two very different worldviews. Easter speaks to that. This last year, I was seen as I look back, has been very tough for music fans. For example, Chuck Berry, the father of rock and roll, he died at the age of 90. And then last summer, a country music legend, Glenn Campbell, died at 81 from Alzheimer's disease. And, and then in October, Tom Petty died at 66. And then after that, Fats Domino died at 89. And I was thinking about all these different people all of them very famous, very influential. All of them had millions and millions of followers, people who listened to what they had to say. But I want you to notice that none of the followers of these people who have died are today claiming, no, he's still alive. Now, Elvis fans are another story. Um, <laughs> but everyone knows none of these people are coming back. But I want you to watch this. 2,000 years ago, a little-known Jewish rabbi named Jesus with only a very few followers. He was arrested, and then he was tortured, and then he was crucified on a Roman cross. He was put to death for the sin of blasphemy, for claiming that he was God in the flesh. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. They stabbed a spear into his side. They killed him, and everyone assumed that's the end of Jesus. He's dead. It's over. The reason we are here today is that on the third day, on Easter Sunday, some of his followers showed up at his grave on Easter Sunday morning, and this is what they found. They found that his body wasn't there. The tomb was empty. Jesus' grave clothes were there. In fact, it's interesting if you read this in the text, the Greek text actually basically describes this picture that his, his grave clothes just collapsed because his body vanished from within them. All that was there were those Grave clothes. Jesus was missing. And notice the story that his followers spread. They didn't announce the news that Jesus' body was missing. What was the history-making, eternity-altering claim of early Christians? They said, Jesus is alive. We have seen him in the flesh. And he, there were eyewitness accounts that record how Jesus appeared first to Mary and then to Peter and John, and then to all the 12 disciples, and then over 40 days to more than 500 other people who saw him alive. And now here we are today, and it's you and me, all of us in this room, but not just us, over 2 billion people all around the world who are gathering to celebrate Easter, all proclaiming the same message. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the grave. Amen. And that is remarkable hope. It is remarkable hope because death is just this unchanging fact of life for every one of us. Do you understand? Someday, someone is going to call the people that I love and they're going to say, Mike is dead. He's gone. Someday, someone is going to call the people that you love 
tell them the same thing. We're all going to die someday. But for those of us who believe in these two pivot points of history, Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection from the grave, we have a hope where our hope is that death now is this doorway to new life because Jesus lives. Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I have come that you might have life to the full. He is alive, and therefore in him we have life. See, the Bible has a very different view of death than our, our culture does. You know, most people today fear death. It makes them anxious. They, they don't know what's on the other side, but Jesus says, I know. And he says, because I know, you can know. You can have confidence because I have been there. And if you trust me and if you follow me, I will show you what my Father has in store for all those who trust in me. This is such an incredibly hopeful and helpful picture. There's a sense in which when you read what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians, Paul would actually probably say something like this to us. He would say to us, if you didn't die, that would be the tragedy. He would say, if you didn't die, that would mean that you would be stuck on this broken planet. You would be stuck in your broken body. You would be stuck for all eternity. That would be the real tragedy. Again, in verses 35 and 36, he writes, But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, in these verses, Paul is comparing our body to seeds. And we all know how this works. When spring comes, what do we do with seeds? Well, we, we, we plant seeds, right? As an example, I have a picture up here of a couple of tulip bulbs. And he, you look at them, they're not really... Anything special to look at, right? In fact, they're sort of ugly. They're just brown and, eh, you know, tulip bulbs, right? But we all know that's not the, all that's to those. We all know that when you bury them in the ground and you wait a little while and you put a little bit of water on them and you, you, you let a little sunshine in, that one day soon, voila, you're going to have that. You get something that's incredibly different than that dead little brown thing that you buried in the earth. And what Paul is basically saying is this. He says, same thing with you, same thing with your body. You know, we see these tulips, and they're just bursting with color and light and radiance. They're radically different from what got planted in the ground. And the same thing is true of the physical bodies of those who follow Christ. Jesus' resurrection gives us this hope. It tells us this. One day, God is going to transform your body into something radically different than what you can see right now. I'm going to bring you to life, and you're going to come back, and you're going to burst forth with a radiance and a glory that you cannot even imagine right now. What hope? What incredible hope? Now, this kind of leads to a next question, which is, what will our bodies be like? How will our bodies be different? And Paul actually gives us several insights throughout this chapter. Look at verses 42 and 43. He says, It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Now, Paul is saying a lot of things there, but notice he is saying that your resurrection body will be eternal. In other words, you will live forever. 
And if you look at where you are right now and you think of living forever, that might not sound like a really great idea. But then he says your body will be indestructible, no longer subject to disease or decay or to death. He says our glorified bodies will be perfect, so unlike our bodies today, which are broken and which are breaking down. I mean, just look around you. Take a look down your road. Do you see any perfect bodies around you right now? If you think you do, don't say anything. That would be weird. But there are no perfect bodies. Even you CrossFitters and you marathoners, just watch. You haven't figured it out yet like some of the rest of us have, but as your body gets older, it's going to tire more quickly. It's going to recover more slowly. It may be hard for you to imagine today, but your body will eventually wear out. And there are some of us who understand this more than others. Some of the more senior among us, we know what it is to suffer from furniture disease. Do you know what furniture disease is? Furniture disease is when your chest is falling into your drawers. If you don't get that, just ask the person next to you. Let them explain it. So, See, aging just affects all of us, right? I mean, in this room right now, there are people with creaky knees and, and bad backs or people that their hair is getting gray. Some of us, our hair isn't turning gray. It's just turning loose. Um, you know, what used to be around the poles of your body is now gathering around the equator. You know how that goes? And you're losing your eyesight. I mean, on and on we could go with all this. And we all are taking great pains trying to neutralize the aging process. We do Pilates and we do Peloton and we do hot yoga and we tuck and we trim. We run marathons. I mean, newsflash, in case you haven't heard yet, you can't outrun this. No one outruns death. Eventually, we're all going in the ground. Now, my wife, uh, Dana, wants me to run more. And I tried running, but I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> and some of you runners, you're like, Pastor Mike, you know, you just need to keep running. You just keep at it. You'll get a runner's high. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. And, and like, I'm a pastor, so I'm not sure that's legal for me. <laughs> but like, if a runner's high means throwing up a little in your mouth and then collapsing <laughs> on the ground, then I've been stoned. Um, <laughs> And like, this is just life, life on our broken planet, isn't it? Our bodies break down. Aging impacts every single one of us. And you can try to camouflage it. You can try to slow it down with Botox. But whatever you do, you cannot stop it. And Paul says that's the bad news. Paul says our bodies will be buried in brokenness. But then he says they will be raised. And what's this new word? Glory. Glory. This word glory, it means brilliance. It means radiance. Our bodies will be glorified like the resurrection body of Jesus. You remember, as, uh, if you're a Christ follower, that means Jesus is your model. He's your template. The Bible uses a word in the Greek that could be really translated. Jesus is our prototype. He's the first fruits. Everything that happens to Jesus will one day happen to you if you are in Jesus. You are his follower, his child. And we actually, in the New Testament, see Jesus showing us some of what's going to happen to us and what we can expect in eternity. So think about this question. What exactly was Jesus' body like? And we don't really have to guess. The Bible tells us some things. 
Now listen to these verses. Paul writes them in Philippians chapter 3. You get this sense of what Paul is talking about here. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when Jesus was raised to life on Easter, what was his newly alive resurrected body like? Well, you don't have to guess. The Bible tells us. You can read the Gospels. After Jesus was resurrected, he walked the earth for about 40 days, and he appeared to the disciples, 500 other believers. And during, during those 40 days of his appearances before he ascended to heaven, the Bible gives us several tantalizing snapshots of what his body was like and therefore what your body will one day be like. We see Jesus on several occasions going out of his way to demonstrate that he was real flesh and bones, that his body was physical. Uh, Luke 24, verses 36 to 40 says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And so we discover in these accounts that Jesus' resurrection body was actually physical. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a disembodied spirit. And he intentionally was teaching his followers that truth. He was teaching them that because he was physical, we would be as well. You see, if you are in relationship with Jesus, this means that your resurrection body one day will be as real as it is now, but glorified. Your body will be enhanced, upgraded to a degree that you can't even really imagine. And sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm asked by people, Pastor Mike, are we going to eat food in heaven? And when I was a pastor in Chicago, this was a very common question from Italian Christians. Pastor Chris Martinez tells me that Hispanic believers ask this a lot too. Well, again, as Christ followers, we don't have to guess. We can go back to what we see in the Bible in Jesus' example. What did Jesus do in his glorified body? Well, among other things, he ate real food. I mean, look again at Luke 24, verses 41 to 43. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. There's kind of a, a note of playfulness here, a playful side of Jesus. It's like he comes back from the dead, and he says, hey, I'm a little hungry. Anybody got some fish tacos? <laughs> See, in heaven, the Bible is clear. You and I will have physical bodies, and we will eat physical food. Praise God. But here's the difference. No carbs. <laughs> no calories. No diets. I mean, just think about it. In heaven, we are going to have none of the physical limitations that plague us here on earth. No food allergies. No acid reflux. No lactose intolerance. You will not have to eat any gluten-free, fat-free, sugar-free, taste-free food. 
The Bible says you will feast at the banquet table of God as it was in the Garden of Eden. We will eat freely for our enjoyment. See, we have hope. Easter gives us hope. Now, I'm pretty sure that there are some of us here who are thinking, well, this just sounds too good to be true. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have some doubts. And so here's another question. It's a great question that you might be asking. What if I have doubts? Well, if you do, I first of all want to say we're glad that you're here. And what you need to understand is that many of us have been exactly where you are today. We've had doubts. You aren't alone. In fact, we see that many of Jesus' followers, including one who was very close to him, a guy named Thomas, experienced doubt. Part of the Easter story is that Thomas doubted that Jesus was really alive, and Jesus went to Thomas directly when he visited the disciples after the resurrection. Do you remember that scene? John 20, 27 says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. There's this incredible painting that I love. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It's by Caravaggio. And I want you to see it up on the screen here. I, I love the surprised look on Thomas's face. And if you can't see it from where you're sitting, you, you need to understand that Thomas's finger is into Jesus' wound. He's sticking his finger into that wound because Thomas has said to Jesus, or said to the disciples, unless I see the wounds and put my hands into them, I will not believe. And Jesus came, and Jesus was like, Thomas, go ahead. Feel for yourself, Thomas. This is what alive feels like. Go ahead and touch. I think it's pretty interesting for us to note that Jesus' glorified body still bore the wounds of crucifixion. And the Bible tells us that those wounds will never actually heal and go away because those wounds are glory wounds. Those wounds are signs to us of Jesus' love, of his sacrifice that he was willing to make on our behalf, laying down his life so that you and I could be forgiven and live forever. Jesus' wounds say to us, I did this for you. He was telling Thomas, Thomas, I did this for you. He's telling us today, I, I did this for you. And notice how Thomas responded in verses 28 and 29 of John 20. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas confessed that Jesus was God in the flesh. And Jesus told him, that's good, Thomas, but you believe because you saw. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. Do you understand that's us? That if we believe, we haven't seen, so we're blessed. The early Christians, they believed because they got to see Jesus in the flesh. It started with Peter, it went to John, and it went to Thomas, it went viral around the world. And those early followers, they had tangible proof that Jesus was alive, no longer dead. He was more powerful than ever. And so they made that confession, my Lord and my God. And that confession is important for us to still make today. But you have to make it. Have you made that confession? This week, I was reminded of something that happened when I was a pastor in the Chicago area. Many of you know that before I came to Southwinds 15 years ago, I served a church in the Chicago area 
for over 13 years. And I, I remember this week something that happened on Easter Sunday, 1993, 25 years ago. There was a woman in our church named Sandy who was one of the very first people that we had reached uh, after I became the pastor of this church in 1989. And, and in a short time after that, Sandy's two children uh, professed faith in Jesus and they were baptized. But her husband, Larry, uh, would not follow. He came to church sometimes, but he wouldn't respond. Over several years, I shared the gospel with him a number of times and uh, after a while, it was basically Sandy had the whole church praying for Larry. We found out in the late winter of 1993 that Larry and Sandy were going to be moving to another state. And so I made another visit. I wanted to talk to Larry. But he wasn't interested in trusting Christ. He said no. Their last Sunday before they moved was Easter Sunday. And Larry came to our Easter services with his family. We celebrated the resurrection. And then at the very end of the service, while the whole church was watching in amazement, Larry came to me and he said he wanted to trust Christ. It was his moment. It was his day. He turned from his sin and he received God's salvation and forgiveness. And we filled the baptistry up right after church to baptize him, and it was cold water. And, uh, and he got baptized, and right after his baptism, his family got in their car, and they drove away to move to their new home. Now, friends, here's the deal today. Easter Sunday, 2018, for some of you, this is your moment. There is a bloodstained cross. There is an empty tomb. There is a rolled away stone, and there is a risen Savior, and God has done all of this. And in Jesus, God the Father, he's reaching out to you right now, today. Today, you, you can go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive in Christ, alive forever. That is the power of God. It leads me to my final question. Where is your ultimate hope? What are you trusting in? Where does your assurance come from? What, what hope are you holding on to? And I want you to think about this because one of the things I know as a pastor is that whenever we have special days like Easter, it can be a very difficult time for many people. I know for many of you, Easter is a, a, a difficult day because this is the first Easter in your life without someone that you love. Maybe Easter reminds you of something in your past that you'd rather forget. But I want to suggest today that Easter can be the day that God changes your hope forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 43 and 44, Paul says this about our resurrection bodies. He says, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It has raised a spiritual body. Easter hope tells us that it doesn't matter ultimately what our lives are like on this earth. Someone who dies of cancer may die in weakness, a shadow of their former self. But if they know Christ in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, 
The moment they close their eyes in death, they step into heaven and they are alive with power. They are more alive than ever before. They are totally transformed. And the same thing, friend, can happen for you. What a wonderful hope, especially for hurting people. I want to remind you today of something very important. Understand that in heaven, there are no wheelchairs, no hospitals, no psychiatric wards, no oncologists or ICUs. There's no chemo or radiation in heaven. There's no nursing homes. Because Jesus is alive, you will be more alive than ever before. And so if you have someone that you love who maybe lives today with a physical limitation or a disability, maybe someone in your life who struggles with a mental illness, think about what that means to be raised and alive in glory, supernatural strength. We need to be reminded today of the hope that this brings to paraplegics or people with ALS or MS or people who've only known chronic pain or suffering this side of heaven. What will they experience in their resurrection bodies? Well, the Bible says they will run and they will jump and they will sing with joy in the presence of Jesus. Think of Johnny. Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know her. She, for decades, has been a well-known artist and an activist for those with disabilities. And if you don't know her story, as a teenager, 50 years ago, Johnny was very active, very athletic, and she rode horses. She loved to hike. She loved to swim. But one summer, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, not knowing how shallow the water was at the point that she dove. And she hit her head, and she fractured her spine, and in an instant became a quadriplegic, not able to feel anything from the shoulders down. And she tells her story about how during two years of rehabilitation, she experienced anger and depression, even suicidal thoughts. She had many doubts about her faith. But Johnny put a brush between her teeth, and she taught herself to paint. And if you've ever seen her art, her art is beautiful, and everything she's ever done, she does exactly like you see in that picture. Now, what do you think? What do you think the promise of a resurrected, fully alive body means to someone like Johnny? Here's what she wrote in her book, which is called Heaven, Your Real Home. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling, Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And I want to say today, praise God for the hope of heaven. Amen? See, no matter what we may suffer here on this earth, it will not compare to the promise of being fully alive in Christ. Just remember, you and I are here on this planet for 70, 80, maybe 90 years, some of us. And then eternal life begins. Our real life, our true life 
with God. What does that mean? Well, it means that a life with Jesus in eternity, among other things, is a life without diabetes, a life without tumors, a life without MS, a life without HIV, a life without Down syndrome or autism or Asperger's. There will be no depression. There will be no anxiety. There will be no prescription drugs. There will be no special needs in heaven. Those who can't speak will speak. Can you imagine what that means to a parent whose child is nonverbal, who cannot express themselves because of a physical or emotional limitation here on this earth? You see, in heaven, they will hear them speak about their love for Jesus and their love for them. That is joy. So you begin to get a picture of why heaven is such a place of joy. You begin to understand why God's promise in Revelation 21 makes sense. Revelation 21, 4 and 5, where it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What does Easter mean? It means the death of death. It means victory over the grave. Verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe that? That these words are trustworthy and true? Have you staked your life on that? Have you put your trust in that? Have you moved from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection? I'm just telling you, friends, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest hope, the greatest freedom that anyone can have is knowing that our sins are forgiven and therefore having the hope of eternal life in heaven whenever our time comes. See, it's Easter weekend, and we're feeling pretty alive today. The weather's great today. It's a beautiful day, but do you know 100 years from now, one thing that's going to be true about every one of us in this room, we're not going to be here. We're all going to be gone not one of us alive here on earth. I just want to remind you the decision that you make in your life regarding Jesus now, that is what determines your destiny forever. You see, getting into heaven is not about doing good works. And it's not about being a better person. It's not about anything you could do on your own because none of us are good compared to Jesus. The Bible says there was only one perfect person and that is the God-man Jesus Christ. What you believe about him here on earth. Did he die on a cross really, truly, as a substitute for your sin? And was he raised to life for your life? That is what will determine your destiny in eternity. As we bring our time to a close this morning, I want to ask each of you directly, have you moved from death to life in the eyes of God? See, in God's eyes, every single one of us, apart from Jesus, his son, we are spiritually dead. We are separated from him by our sin. We've rebelled against him. And we only come alive when we trust in Christ. But God promises, if you trust him, he will change everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 sums it up. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ... All will be made alive. Do you believe that this Easter? I pray that if you came into this place and you hadn't settled that question, that you will leave this place having made this decision.
to believe that what Jesus said and what God verified about him through the resurrection is actually true. That you today can move from death to life if you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you give Jesus your life to serve him and follow him forever. Jesus is God's son. He demonstrated that on the cross and by raising again from the dead. And you can know him today. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray together. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are are closed, I just want to encourage all of us to, to be praying right now. If you have never trusted in Christ, I just want to let you know that can happen right now. It's very simple, actually. The Bible says that if you will turn from your sins in repentance and ask God to forgive those sins, and if you will place your trust in Jesus that his death on the cross actually brings forgiveness and brings life, then the Bible says you will be saved. You don't have to understand everything that it means, but you place your trust. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and if, if you would like to take that step today, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to express what that step means in some words, and you can, you can translate that in your own heart and mind to express what God is putting on your heart. But let this just be a guide for you. You can say, Father God, I'm coming home. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Jesus, thank you for coming to life for me. I I turn from my sin and repentance. Please forgive me. I receive you as my Savior. Will you come into my heart, Jesus? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you, Jesus, and I want to live with you forever. The Bible says you can can pray and you can ask. And if you ask these things, Jesus will answer. He'll come in and become your Lord and your Savior. Before we leave today, if you have taken this step, we just want to encourage you, would you let us know? You can do that on your Connect card that's going to be in your program. You can just fill that out, mark that box that says you trusted Christ, put it in the bag when it comes by. Or maybe you just want to talk to a pastor or maybe talk to the person that brought you here today. Share with someone what God has done in your life today. Father God, you are so good. And we are so thankful that you would love us enough to give us your son, Jesus. We are so so very thankful that Jesus, your son, would die for our sins and would give us new life. And we pray that on this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate that new life, that you would bring uh, new life into being all around us. Father, we pray that you would open hearts and you would grant repentance and faith even now. We pray all these things as God's people in the name of Jesus. And all God's people together said,